G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two letter u.org. Shout out to Scott Hay in Winnipeg, Canada and Lorene Ward in Wichita, Kansas. Thank you for supporting these Truth To You programs. We're beginning a brand new series entitled Gleanings From Genesis. Joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, Vice President of United Israel. The website is unitedisrael.org. Welcome back to Truth To You, Ross Nichols. Hey, Jono, how are you? It's good to talk to you again. It seems like it's been forever. I think the last time we uh, talked face-to-face, we were in the land, obviously, and we've had a few phone calls, but it's been a while, man. It's good to hear your voice. Not only has it been a while, Ross, but there are people that are saying, hey, where have you guys been? It has been a while since we've recorded, and I'm glad you brought this up because long-time listeners will be saying, hey, didn't you guys just start a series entitled Kingdom Chronicles? And we did. And we have every intention of getting back to that. But you've been really, really busy uh, of late writing a book, which we do expect to see published sometime around the turn of the year. Would that be fair? That's fair. That's fair enough. I've been talking about it long enough and I've been working hard. So uh, hopefully I'll have that done at the end of the year and our listeners can check that out. So we'll talk more about that later. We will keep listeners up to date. That's not what we're talking about today. And understandably, that is the priority. I can't wait to read it. I'm very excited about it, just to let listeners know. Um, but we won't be talking about your book today. Uh, although I do highly recommend that the people go to United Israel's YouTube channel and catch up on your current series entitled Torah. Just before we move on, can you give them just a quick uh, overview? Yeah, just a quick overview. What, what we're doing is it's not, even though the title is Torah, We're not going through the Torah, as some people do, where we're going through the Torah readings. We're talking about uh, some very interesting and uh, some people might consider a little bit challenging subject material because we're focusing on things like authorship. We're talking about uh, fundamental views versus academic views. We're really getting into the text. uh, But one of the things that we're trying to do is stick with the text, let the text tell us the questions or answer the questions that we have and i think most people are very excited about this program Uh, we have completed four this coming shabbat will be number five so uh it's very very it's receiving some positive reviews so i encourage people to check it out Mm, i'm keeping up to date with those and uh they, they really are excellent Uh, All in good time, as I mentioned, we will be talking about your book. That's not why we're here today. This series is about a new Bible translation uh, entitled The Transparent English Bible, the TEB, of which the book of Genesis is now available. You can get a copy from Amazon. We're very lucky to have with us the editor-in-chief, the professor of ancient Judaism and early Christianity at the University of North Carolina, the president of United Israel, the Bob Dylan of the theological world, Welcome back That's to it. Truth To You, Dr. James Tabor. Hello, Jono. How long has it been? <laughs> I think uh, a while. Let's it's, say it's, we did my book, Restoring Abrahamic Faith. I remember that. That's exactly right. But I've right. seen you in Israel any number of times, and we had a wonderful time in March together. So We, we did indeed. Really good to be with you. I really miss you, my Even friend. Even though I'm glad. we got stuck by COVID. But. Yeah, we, we yeah. did. It was an interesting time to be in Israel, and uh, we don't have time to talk about that, but I miss you. And long-time listeners will recall uh, previous interviews with your fine self regarding two of the many books that you've authored. Uh, you mentioned Restoring Abrahamic Faith. Now, by the way, James, where can people get a copy of that? Is Can people still get a copy of this book? Not it, right now. It's out of print, but by Rosh Hashanah. 
uh, September 19th, it'll be out again in a uh, new edition. Much in a new edition, I hope. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll, we'll keep so. listeners uh, informed when that happens. Uh, and the other book, of course, was Paul and Jesus, uh, the latter being uh, Paul and Jesus, that program with Jason, uh, my mate That's Jason right. of Jewish Dublin Walking Tours. Um, Truth to You's most popular program, by the way. Well, there you go. Now, listen, today we are discussing the book of Genesis from the Transparent English Bible, hot off the press. Uh, we already have some comments regarding this podcast series. Are you ready? Go for it. Yeah, okay. let's go. Mary Whitman. G'day, Mary. Uh, we know Mary. Uh, she wrote in and she said that she'll be listening. Absolutely, she'll be listening, she said. So glad to have you with us, Mary. Now, speaking of Mary, and uh, not speaking of Mary Whitman, but speaking of Mary, James, just quickly, you have another book that's just been released. Is that available in the States yet? No, it's it's been released in France. It's called, um, well, Mary, the Mother of Jesus, How the Jewish Mother of Jesus Became the Virgin Mother of God. So wow. it's essentially about how Jesus' mother was robbed and deprived of essentially everything she was. Her Jewishness, her womanhood, her motherhood, uh, all that she was historically. So it's, you you know, we talk about the quest for the historical Jesus mm-hmm. that Schweitzer inaugurated over 100 years ago, mm-hmm. Albert Schweitzer. And this is the first book I know of on the quest for the historical Mary. Right. It's doing very well in France. And the reason it's being held up here is because of COVID. Uh, there's so much news noise with the elections and with, uh, you know, the epidemic going on and so forth, hmm. that most trade publishers are holding back books until uh, the airways clear because ah, they want to yeah. get publicity okay, so- for their books. So maybe so you will be seeing the release of that book perhaps spring, at the end of the year? Yeah. Okay. No, not right. the end. Of, I would say 2021 spring. Uh, it's with Knopf, Random House. So you'll be hearing about it for sure. All right. As soon as that's available, we will let the listeners know. Also, Yitzhak Mayor Skobak said, this sounds awesome. I never listen to podcasts, but I might tune into this one, exclamation mark, is what he wrote. And I do believe that's Rabbi Michael Skobak's Hebrew name. Uh, huh. the, the very popular 365 Messianic Prophecies series that we did here on Truth To You. You can find it on truthtoyou.org. So g'day to uh, Rabbi Skobak. Uh, Betty Eddy wrote in. Now, she's really keen. She said, well, when will the new series be released? How will it be released? Where will it be released? Will you send yeah. me an email when it goes on? And uh, mm-hmm. the answer is yes, we absolutely will, Betty. Thank you for for writing in and letting us know that you're very eager to listen to this. Um, you can find this on, as I mentioned, truthtoyou.org. We will be uploading the programs as well to, uh, or sharing the programs rather, on Gleanings from Genesis Facebook page. You can find it there, uh, Truth To You Facebook page. Also, uh, it'll be going up in the uh, United Israel newsletter, I think. Ross, is that right? That's correct. And on our social media sites. So we'll publicize it in our newsletter. We'll put it on our Facebook page. Facebook group, Twitter, uh, there is no way that someone who follows United Israel will miss this broadcast. When, yeah, no I want to say he- I want to say hello to Rabbi Skovac. Um, he and I have been friends for many, many years, and also yeah. uh, Betty Eddy, of course, right, and to Mary because uh, I know of all of them and. Uh, mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, shout out to Great those guys. And, and and I'm really excited, actually. And, you know, truth, you'll be, be talking about this later, but Rabbi Skobek is also working on some books. Really uh, very excited about that. One of which he's going to be turning the uh, three 
65 Messianic Prophecies series that we did on Truth To You into a book. That'll be uh, available sometime in the future. We'll keep people posted when that happens. But yeah, great to Rabbi Scoback, top bloke, like him a lot. Uh, in fact, I remember that we, all three of us talked, all four of us uh, talked to Rabbi Scoback uh, one time when we were in the desert of, uh, of Israel there at Biblical Tamar. So um, fond memories. Sylvia, all right, now James, you're, you're in trouble already, all right? Um, Sylvia wrote in and uh, you have some explaining to do. She said, hi, folks, sorry, but I don't want to get nudity pictures under the guise of artsy advertisements and intellectual material. I've been interested in this new new translation, but now I'm losing interest and even becoming disinterested. Who are you marketing to? Who would want porno on that coffee table? (laughs) Your marketing (laughs) is heading to the wrong people. Thanks a lot, Sylvia. G'day, Sylvia. Okay, explain yourself. She must be talking about Chagall's artwork. So, now, yeah, again, who was who was who was the artist of the probably, of the cover? Well, it's Chagall, of course. Everybody okay. could tell by his uh, style. Well, uh, I love the cover, so that's all I can say. But I, let's look, stick with the translation for now. Hey, let me let me uh, say this though. Let me add one thing for you, Doctor Tabor. You, you know there is a popular slogan uh, or saying: "Don't judge a book by its cover," and this absolutely is the case in this uh, regard. So hopefully Sylvia will be okay once we get into the content and uh, she might be able to get the book and and just put another cover on it if she prefers because the content is really exceptional. I think think the cover... As as we get into the translation though, I think you're going to see that uh, sometimes our standards of sexuality and so forth are formed more by a kind of 19th century Victorianism. And the actual Hebrew language is fairly explicit. And okay. I don't think the picture's particularly explicit, but it's essentially, uh, it's an Adam and Eve picture. And, it's an Adam yeah. and Eve picture. And, and you know what? Done this very leads into... impressionistically. And uh, I think it's really a lovely picture. But And I... I don't want to jump ahead, but this brings us to an example that you use in the introduction of the TEB and how it differs from other best-selling translations. And that example that you use is regarding Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, with de- which deals with this, um, uh, this issue specifically, I think. Uh, and we may get to that. Um, before we do, listen, Ross, uh, on the yeah, question, yeah. You know, on this program, we, we often get the, the, uh, the question, what is the best... English translation. What do you use, Ross? Jono, what do you use? Why Why do you prefer to use that one? And so on and so forth. We've talked about this on numerous occasions uh, on Truth To You and other programs that we do. And uh, the, the one that you use, um, right. you know, every, every Shabbat, is the Koran Jerusalem Bible. And we've talked that one up before, among others as well. And, uh, you know, when I eventually at your uh, insistence i got one of those and i thought now my life is complete i've got so many bibles on my bookshelf in front of me and i thought to myself when i get this one this is all i'm going to get i'm not going to get any more this is i'm happy now you with this. sound like dr Tabor. now you well, sound like dr Tabor. he just made his own because he got it right see this well now uh i started reading the book of genesis uh the teb and i have to say i wonder what I've been reading all of this time because so much has been open to me and I now know things and I, I now have information to evaluate that I hadn't had before. And I think, why haven't I had this before? And this is what I want to begin uh, talking about with James. James, first of all, why the Transparent English Bible? 
what how does it differ from other leading translations? What are some of the translation techniques that you employ that make this translation unique? A lot of it is in the word transparent. So the idea is that you can peer through the original Hebrew. So as you read the text in English, you're seeing, hearing, and actually feeling the original text. Now, how do you feel the original text? You get meaning, but you also get things like redundancy and rhythm that's in the original. And what all English translations do, even some of the better ones from the standpoint of what I'm trying to do, and I think that would be Everett Fox and Robert Alter, who have these very wonderful specialized translations. But in one of the examples I'm going to give you, uh, Alter, for example, says in Genesis 1, and we'll get into it in detail in the coming weeks, but let grass grow, okay? Mm -hmm. But if you look at the Hebrew, there's a alliteration, let sprouts sprout. Right. It doesn't really say grass. It talks about sprouting, and the verb and the noun are the same root, you see? Now, you would see that in Hebrew, and grass grow is fine. It, it really depends on what you want. It's not like you're going to get led astray if you read about let the herb bring forth or let the earth bring forth or whatever. But in many, many cases, you get to peer through, and this can include redundancy. What happens with English translations, Hebrew sometimes will repeat the same thing. We're going to see this so many times over the next few weeks. And, and it'll just jump out at you. And at first, it'll be strange. Like, why is it mentioning this over and over? Like, there's a place, remember where Jacob has his dream? Mm -hmm. The phrase, this place, this mm -hmm. place, this place, I think it occurs five or six times. And the English tends to just smooth it out. Uh, we'll get to one example of that very quickly with Adam. When he sees Eve for the first time, here's the cover of my book. Mm -hmm. Did you know how many times he says this one? He says this one. Now, this one, what is he stuttering? You see? Yeah. <laughs> but it's in the Hebrew. So if it's in the Hebrew, it's in this version. That's There's no other translation like it. So you could learn Hebrew, or you can actually, if you even know Hebrew, you can still use this. And so redundancies, alliterations, repetitions, uh, we do singulars and plurals. Lots of times in Hebrew, you will see a plural when it's actually singular or a singular when it's actually plural. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, it matters a lot in some places, but mm -hmm. what translations do is they, they smooth it out for common English style. So in Hebrew, if I say 20 years, it's 20 year, you see? Now, mm -hmm. I might put a translation, but I'll put a little S by it just to let you know. So I'm not going to make it nonsense for you. So the S but is some, for singular, or, or if you've got a little yeah, piece, yeah, so you've you got little, little uh, superscripts. Yeah. You get a little chart right before you start. Mm -hmm. You'll see these little superscript letters, and uh, they'll say things like masculine, feminine, singular, plural. There's a little C that means causative. There's a special form of the verb in Hebrew called the hyphil mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, makes the verb causative. And so uh, that's not brought out in a lot of translations. Well, can I give you an example of, of yeah. something that I found uh, fascinating that I didn't know, for example— um, you talk about these superscriptions, the letters that you put 
after the word to let people know if they're in the masculine or the feminine or the single or the plural or many other um, uh, uh, indications that you give. Uh, and the one example that you use in uh, the explanation prior to the book of Genesis beginning is uh, the example of Cain, uh, where God says that, that sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you, and that, that sin is in the feminine form, if I remember correctly, and uh, crouching is in the masculine. Is that correct? That's correct. And so they actually mm -hmm. don't go together. And so there's something more for you to uh, consider in terms of what that might mean. And the translations don't... Uh, so when it says sin is crouching at the door, its desire, it doesn't actually say its desire, you see. Uh, so uh, because the verb is is masculine and, and the, uh, the noun is feminine. I didn't feminine. know that. So, so I found that fascinating. Yeah. And this is just so one example. So you'll find that on every page. And right. um, one of my favorite alliterations, I'll just give you a few of these on the transparency thing. I love this one. Uh, this is Genesis 120. Uh, we'll get to it pretty quick, but the NIV says, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. So that sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. New RSV, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. Now, here's the TEV. Let the waters swarm a swarm of living creatures breathers because the word creature see we make up english words this is nefesh kaya it's a hebrew term it means a living breather and it's very important as we'll get into because humans are living breathers same word nefesh kaya but then notice let the flyer fly you say well the flyer is birds well I not always some other things fly Bats, I think as flies well aware fly, of. <laughs> and we say, hey, in what is that insect called? It's called a fly. Why? Because mm -hmm. it flies. Mm -hmm. So let the flyer fly. So it actually means the creatures that travel in the air. Mm -hmm. So these, you know, people could consider these minor, and yet I don't think they really are. Um, so again and again, uh, here's another example that maybe makes no difference, but I want you to know how careful I am. What about uh, Genesis 1-4? That's very early on. I'm staying with the early ones because we'll be getting to them just mm. in a week or two. Uh, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Mm -hmm. That's the NIV. Revised Standard, God called the light day, darkness, night, and so forth. It's almost the same. Here's the TEV, mine. And Elohim called to the light day. Now you say, well, what's the difference? It actually says, or to the light. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because when you call something in Hebrew, you throw the name at them. It's, it's like a, it's an image. Like I see something and I go, you're light. <laughs> and I right. pitch it. And then I go, you're darkness. You see what he's doing? Yeah. He's a sign. Picture somebody standing and naming things in a room, and you go, okay, I'm going to name you this, and you this, and you that, you see? Now, does that matter? No. But I, w I want you to see the Hebrew, you see, underneath, because it's actually very beautiful. If you read this translation aloud, it's unbelievable, the rhythm of it. it, it it's like a drumbeat. 
Uh, yeah, it's got a it's got a cadence. It's got a cadence that other translations don't. And if you think about it, uh, in the ancient world, they would read these texts, and and even in synagogues today, you read the text. But in English, these examples that Dr. Tabor's just given, it's the cumulative effect of page, paragraph after paragraph, sentence after sentence, verse after verse, and it just overwhelms you. You you feel as if you're reading something you've never read before almost. It's that good. It's that literal. Well, as, as I mentioned before, I, I'm reading something and I think to myself, why wasn't I allowed to know this before? The editors of the translators decided for me how I should interpret this. But in this case, the TEB allows the reader to make those decisions and to consider it for themselves. So where we have uh, translations that maybe there are colloquial translations, there are contemporary translations, there are dynamic translations, there are formal translations, and there are mechanical translations. James, would it be fair to say that the TEB is somewhat of a marriage between a formal and a mechanical translation? Yeah, I would say it, you know, we use the word literal, it's, it's not necessarily mechanical, but it's exacting. And the reason okay. it's not mechanical is because of the rhythm of the Hebrew, which actually has a flow to it. But you right. got to get used to it. Right. Let me give you another example, uh, just the care that is taken. So many times in other translations, there'll be a verb like made. And so God made this and made that, and then God made a woman. But if the verb is different in Hebrew, should I use the same English so that you would think that it's the same in Hebrew? Mm. And of course, this goes back to my cover, yes. Genesis 2.22. God built the side that he took from the soil man. We can talk about soil man. That's Adam. It mm. literally means dirt man. Mm-hmm. He built it into a woman. Now, all well, almost all the translations say made, but it's actually bana, the same verb you'd use to build a house or anything else. And it implies a craft and a special care. If you make a piece of furniture and you say, I made that, that's okay. But if you say, I built that or I crafted that, you see. Mm-hmm. So what we did uh, and it took you know this translation took 10 years and what we did was we uh, went through every hebrew root form you know hebrews built off of verbal forms and the nouns come from the verbs and we came up with consistent translations i'm not talking about there can be no variation whatsoever because there could be by context but we try to stay with those root meanings mm-hmm. so fly means fly it doesn't mean sore or, you know, any other number. English has hundreds of redundant words for the same thing. Hebrew doesn't. So we do that as well. And let me, since I mentioned it took 10 years, I want to give a kind of shout out to all the people that supported this effort for 10 years. This started in 1992. Ernest Martin, some of the listeners will know him, a Christian Bible scholar, mm-hmm. uh, he was concerned that the Hebrew Bible in, is, in, is, is in an order that the Old Testament is not. And he was very keen on having a Bible for Christians to read. They would have the Hebrew order of the books, which I don't think any standard Christian translation has. And that's how it actually started. He called it the original Bible project. Right. I was brought in, though, to do something else, because I can fix the order of the books literally in one day. You know, start block, 
take any translation, get it digitized, and start block moving things around. Plus, you can buy a dozen copies of the Tanakh anytime you want in all these translations. So what it became as we evolved was not just the order of the books, but what would be really accurate. Mm -hmm. And we did consider at first taking a number of English translations and trying to improve them, uh, shape them. For example, you could take the King James, like the new King James did, or you could take the Koran Tanakh and just, quote, fix the things that you feel maybe need to be more transparent. But it, it ended up being changing every verse. Mm -hmm. And you're still just had a kind of a mess because you're trying to do two different things. And I just want to say that since you mentioned different translations, this is not the best translation for every purpose. It's the best translation for close and careful study. And I think for, uh, I call it dramatic reading because you get the drama of the text, but I'm perfectly fine with other translations for other purposes. I personally use a Revised Standard Version, and I use the Koran Tanakh. I use the JPS. There are other translations that are just fine. So it's not like, oh, finally, this translation will replace everything. Translations have different purposes. But if you want to go verse by verse, line by line, and get into all of the original meanings in a transparent way, I don't know of any translation like it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of readers will appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, the listeners of Truth To You absolutely want to get into the detail of the text in a way that uh, I feel like this is, this is a, uh, a publication that's been missing from my library that I would have appreciated 10 years ago. And uh, I'm so glad that it's available now because just in what little reading I've done through, uh, through Genesis and, and the uh, examples that you give in the first 40-odd pages of the book, I don't know how I've been, <laughs> how I've been uh, doing without it. So I'm wrapped to have it. It's uh, an essential addition to my library, absolutely. Ross? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm in a total agreement with you. And I've had the privilege of seeing this from the early, at least the mid-90s when I met Dr. Tabor. And so I've been able to read and, and see how this has come out. And I tell you, the consistency is a really big deal, Jono. It's it, years ago when I started biblical study, I would look up a word before I studied biblical Hebrew with any real, you know, uh, in any real way. But I was beginning to use tools, Bible tools like Strong's Concordance, lexicons and things like that. And you'll look up a word in the English tools such as Strong's, and it would give you six or seven definitions. And you'd say, well, you know, what does that really mean? But the thing about Dr. Tabor's work here in this Genesis translation in the TEB is, as he pointed out a moment ago, he will take a word and really drill down to get the essence of the Hebrew root. So then you're able to see it in various word forms. So uh, the noun and the verb will sometimes, they'll be tied to that same root. So you don't get one translation in one verse, and then you get another translation of the same Hebrew word in another verse. It's, if you see it in one place, you're going to see it consistently throughout. And that's, mm -hmm. in my mind, that's the most powerful tool available. Uh, like James says, it's not so rigid that you can't be a little bit flexible, but 
at the same time, you want to retain what does the word mean? So that's I, I think that's one of the key features. One other thing I just wanted to bring up, and, and maybe James can touch on this a little bit, is uh, in English Bibles, depending on which translation uh, you purchase, sometimes the chapter and verses don't absolutely line up with the Hebrew. And then the other thing that this translation preserves that is in, say, for instance, the Koran is the white spaces, which, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you have to read the whole chapter to get the context. Maybe, maybe not. So this translation includes what are called, uh, you know, I just call them the white spaces. But James, you want to touch on that just a little bit? Yeah, the way the Hebrew text is is divided, it's actually almost throughout the Hebrew Bible, but certainly in this all of Genesis, uh, where the natural divisions of the text, according to the author and editors and however it was finally put together, is decided not by our chapters and verses, so that you might have a four-verse section in the middle of a chapter that's marked off with, with space, meaning it stands out as a separate unit. When we go through Genesis, we will note those, so you actually see examples. What's nice about this, though, is they're visual on the page. So you can actually look at a page, just open it up, and if there's a full chapter, there'll be no white spaces. So people might say, well, why didn't you put it in columns, or why did you lay it out like this? Because I wanted to show these uh, features. It's really an interesting thing, and we'll illustrate it as we go. Let me mention something else that I don't want to leave out. Idioms. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Idioms are something else. An idiom is an expression in one language that in another language has to be brought over in some way because it just sounds so literal. And we faced a real problem because the, the rule we came up with, and I had consultation with a number of Hebrew Bible scholars I want to give Bob Hawk, a special credit, because we hired him for a full year. He's a major Hebrew Bible scholar, University of Chicago PhD, and a professor, retired now. So we consulted and decided, and, and the rule we came up with, with the editorial committee, was if the idiom's understandable in English, leave it. If it's not, explain it slightly and footnote the literal. Now, some of you have Bibles that will put in the margin, literal, this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that. The King James did that, sure. uh, if you remember the King James. Didn't you always wonder, because you look at the literal and you go, hmm, well, I know what that means. Why didn't they put that in the <laughs> Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, okay, let me give you uh, just some of my favorite examples. Uh, in Genesis 22.3, Abraham sets out and continues toward the Negev, the desert. He's traveling. So he sets out. But in Hebrew, you get up early. You know what you do? You shoulder up. You pack. You pack up. Mm -hmm. See? So you could say he sets out, or you could say he... And it's also in the causal, which means he caused to shoulder up, meaning he told the whole camp, okay, you guys, pack it up. You see what what I'm saying? Good example. If I just say, he left. Yeah, he left. But uh, and you know to travel is to is nasa right to lift up. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know Jacob lifts his feet and walks to a place. He lifts his two feet. Excuse me, I wasn't literal enough. 
It's mm-hmm. actually two feet. It's in the duel, what's called the duel. He lifts his two feet and walks toward the land of the sons of the east. I love that. Now, most mm. translations, and Jacob went to the land of the east. Oh, no, I, I just like lifts up his two feet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it almost reminds you of your grandmother or her mother yelling at you. You lift up those two feet and get in here right now. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. And that's kind of the feel you get. It's it's real. It's It's maybe a little bit staccato, but... I like it. This gives like you it. such pleasure to yeah. read. Yeah, it, it, it certainly adds a dimension to the to the text that I haven't enjoyed before. And uh, and I just want listeners to understand that you can follow along with this series with uh, any regular uh, Bible translation that you have. But there really is a reason to uh, to purchase it from, uh, and and you can get it on Amazon, right? Um, James is right. Yeah, and Kindle too, because you know a lot of times, like you mentioned, Abrahamic faith, we never did an e-format and so many people in your country and elsewhere we've had to ship copies boxes of copies at high postage and so forth mm. and uh, now people can just download the kindle literally in you know five seconds and have the whole thing you know the other nice thing about the kindle is you don't have to turn to the back to get the notes you yeah. just put your cursor over whatever the wherever the note is and by the way, mm-hmm. this Genesis has a thousand notes. A thousand notes. There's a thousand yeah. notes. And so this the notes something... explain further. Yeah. And we'll, when we go through, we're going to look at every note. We're going to read every note and explain because it, you know, it's one thing to translate, but sometimes you need to clarify why is it that way. Having so, said that, having said that, James, um, the the explanations, the notes, the footnotes that you have are devoid of theological slant. Is that fair to say? That is exactly right. They are linguistic notes. I had a board of the original Bible Project that uh, worked with me on this, and they were absolutely insistent that this can be used by Jews, Christians, Muslims, secularists, and that would be the appeal. A secularist might enjoy the literary quality, so-called secularists. You know, somebody that's not necessarily a Bible believer, but they just want to read the Bible. It's such an important piece of literature. But they're also going to get the the illusions and the alliterations and the idioms, which really makes the Bible literature. So we absolutely did not ever put into the notes any kind of theological interpretations. Mm. So it's not like, well, this was fulfilled you know, when Israel returned in 1948, or this actually pointed to the coming of the Messiah or anything of that nature, Mm. so that the reader can be left. We want to give you the text without adornment, and then you can be left to your own way of putting it all together and understanding it. But what we do is put you in an accurate position to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really important because uh, some listeners will be fascinated to know that certain translations are rich in theological agenda. And uh, the one that we used, I already mentioned the 365 Messianic Prophecies, Prophecies series that I did with uh, Rabbi Skoback. Uh, we used the uh, the New King James uh, version, and it really is, as I mentioned, rich in theological agenda in the text uh, and certainly in the notes as well. So having something that is um, uh, devoid of that as I mentioned before, allows the reader to be able to evaluate the information raw and uh, and and come to their own conclusion. Yeah, what does the text say? That's what this translation gives you. What does it say? What does yeah. it mean? 
It's another question. Yeah. So if I can use another example before we move on, this is just another example of, uh, of an, an example that you used, James, that gave me reason to pause and ponder, and that was uh, Genesis three sixteen to 17. Uh, it says in the, in the NIV, for example, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children, to Adam. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. But in the TEB, this is what it says. Toward the woman, he said, making abundant, I will surely make abundant. Your hardship and your pregnancy. In hardship you will bring forth sons to Adam. Cursed is the soil on your account. In hardship you will eat of it all the days of your life. And I had to stop and really give that some consideration, James. Yeah, because how many times have you heard that women are kind of cursed with childbirth and men are supposed to be supporting the family and tilling the soil? And actually the... Neither of these are punishments as much as consequences that the realm of the woman is to bring forth these children. Sons in Hebrew means children. It's not always, even though it's masculine. And so it's more the word of hardship would be, a you know, we search for an English translation. Toil is one thing, but I guess toil is okay, but I like hardship better. Mm-hmm. But it's exact, it's balanced. In other words, uh, what Adam is doing is to- is uh, plowing the soil and planting the soil, and that's hard, and it- it's a hard life. And what the women are doing is uh, raising the family. Mm. So, what what struck you about that is interesting, Jenna. Yeah, I, you know, and again, I appreciate being able to evaluate the words on the page uh, without having it, you know, being given a a, a meaning prior to it coming to me. Um, James, well, let me let me just say, let me say, Jonah, the NIV is trying to get there by using pain twice. That's that's a good step because at least Mm -hmm. you see the word. But look at the RSV, which you also have there. The RSV says to the woman in pain and to the man in toil. It's the same word. It's Mm -hmm. the same word. Mm -hmm. You see? And so that's where you're and that's because the King James. The RSV is a lot like the King James. And so that's this old idea that women suffer pain. That's their curse. So it needs to really hurt when you have a baby, right? And then you're fulfilling mm. God's will. And men, they just work hard. And it's the same word. Mm. So I think pain is, you know, pain might be okay, but I don't think it's pain as much as life is tough. Yeah. Whatever arena you are in as a male or female, you're going to face the challenge that you're outside the gates of Eden, mm-hmm. right? So, so true. Um, James, the Tetragrammaton, a lot of people will be asking, you know, whenever they're considering another uh, Bible translation, that's one of the first things they want to know about. How do you deal with the name of God or the various uh, names of God? Basically, we we put them in all caps where you can really see that it's a name, and we leave them in Hebrew, not the Hebrew letters, but a kind of a transliteration. So for Yahweh or Jehovah or Yehovah, we just put Y-H-V-H, no vowels. Another reason we did this is it acceptable to Orthodox Jewish readers as well. That is, we're, we're not getting into the thing about how is it vocalized. I have views on that, but I'm not going to impose them on this translation. Mm-hmm. 
but we have the letters. Uh, for the shorter form, Ya, we just put Ya, Adon, Adonai, El, Aloha, Elohim, Elyon, Shaddai. So that's how we do the names. They are in small caps, so they really stand out. And as you know, anyone who's gotten used to using a translation that indicates the names of deity, it makes a huge difference in reading many, many sections. Hmm. Because if you switch from YHVH to Adonai, that's one thing. But if you switch to Adon, that's another thing. Because Adon is singular and Adonai is plural. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to talk about all that. And yet Adonai takes a singular verb. How about that? Sometimes. So Elohim, for example, can take a plural verb, but it can also take a singular verb. And we indicate that in the translation. So all that is transparent. Transparent is the word again. You know exactly what name And what happens with English, once they started this L-O-R-D stuff, and this is my big fault with the Koran translation. Sorry, Ross. Yeah, I'm with you. Ross knows Hebrew, so it doesn't matter. Once they started this King James L-O-R-D all caps, okay, then they had the problem when they got to Adonai, which means L-O-R-D, right? (laughs) So then they put L-O-R-D G-O-D, and G-O-D now stands for Adonai. But wait, what if it's L-O-R-D? What if it's Yahweh Elohim, you see? And so they came up with a convoluted way to show all three. But when you read it in English, you have no, you could memorize it, but you don't get the naturals. I mean, if it's Elohim, put Elohim. Hmm. Why not? There it is on the page. Elyon. I love El Elyon. Mm-hmm. It's a great, you know, in Genesis, when Abraham prays with Melchizedek, he says, uh, Baruch Atah El Elyon. Well, to say, blessed are you, God most high? Yeah, that might be what it means in a way, but are, but I'd rather just see El Elyon. Also, I want the alliteration. Notice El Elyon. Mm-hmm. You get the alliteration as well, you see? Yeah. yeah this is certainly something I appreciate about the, about the translation. Ross? Yep. Yeah, one other thing about the name uh, James is touching on, if even though I like the literalness of the Koran text, uh, one of the things that they do, uh, and, and it's not good in my opinion, is that capital L-O-R-D is used for both uh, Y-H-V-H, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, as well as Yah. So you don't know which one you're seeing in the Koran because all of the divine names, well, let me specify, Yah and yod heh vav are both represented in the Koran text as L-O-R-D. Whereas if that were to occur in this translation, uh, the transparent English Bible, you would quickly see what does the Hebrew say. So uh, one, one thing I would advise people if a person is studying biblical Hebrew and they want to really practice and get better, they take the Hebrew of Genesis and you just do verse by verse and and you're going to see exactly in the English what you're looking at in the Hebrew. So it's a great learning tool as well. Hmm. Yeah. Let Let me me just quote something. Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to change the subject. Go ahead. If you want to. No, I just, I just want to quote from, let me just quote from the, uh, the, the introduction of the TAB. It says, 
the aim of the TEB is to err on the side of the literal, allowing readers to experience the original language to every extent possible. I love that. I think that's that really is an excellent summary of uh, why people should be purchasing this particular publication. James. Yeah, I wanted to point out, as you know, um, there are different um, original languages behind the Hebrew Bible. They're different manuscripts. And so one other feature of this translation that I think is very important, it's not what we call an eclectic text. Most modern translations, unless they're based just on the Masoretic text, and there are very few that are, even the JPS will slip in some variant readings. But I'm talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament in Greek, other kinds of variations. These are included, but in the notes. So if you're reading the text of the Transparent English Bible, you know you're reading the Leningrad Codex, which is the oldest complete copy of the Masoretic text. Now, if there's a variant, and there are, the Masoretes change things occasionally. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get to Genesis 18. There's some pretty major changes that they make. Sometimes they change the order and so forth. But we're not going to start changing the base text. So there's a base text, the Leningrad Codex. Most Hebrew Bibles start there. But what many do, have you ever noticed in many modern translations, they'll say, other authorities read, and then they'll put right. a variant. And you go, mm -hmm. Other authorities, how am I supposed to know what to think? You know, you're just telling me that some versions of the Bible are different, and and so we don't do that. If the, De the Dead Sea Scrolls do have different readings, even in Genesis, there's a major one toward the end of Genesis in the Song of Moses, really major one. But we're not going to change the Hebrew text, even though many scholars think that the Dead Sea Scroll and the, and the Septuagint, which happen to agree, might be more original. But see, if we start doing that, then you'll never know what you're reading. Mm. And so uh, you see the idea? Mm. And if you're interested in being careful with the text, the variants are there, but they're in the notes. And we say, Dead Sea Scrolls actually say this. It's different. Well, now you're informed. You can make mm -hmm. your decision. But you don't want it in the text, your base text, and then in the footnotes say, well, the Masoretic happens to say this. Well, you go, well, what am I reading then? So that's yeah. called an eclectic text where the scholar creates a text in English that doesn't actually exist anywhere in Hebrew, Greek, in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. You follow right. the, the point. Uh, now, listen, can we move to um, the, the very first verse, chapter one, verse one, because I find this really interesting. This, uh, on, on Ross's advice and insistence, and I'm very glad that I got it, as I mentioned earlier, I did get the, the Koran Jerusalem Bible, and I find it fascinating. It begins this way. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven, singular, and the earth. Uh, and I said to you at the time, I said, why Hashemayim? It's, it's plural. Why would it be singular? Why have they? I mean, it's, it's an interesting way to begin. But in the TEB, it says, at the first of Elohim, creating the skies and the land. James. Okay. So on, on, on that point, well, skies is plural. So I put skies instead of sky mm. for, for that. And heaven implies so many other things in English. And we're actually talking about the dome 
above the earth right now, which is the sky, you know, the blue dome that we all see visually. But what's really interesting about this verse, in this verse, by the way, and we, we're going to come back to this because I think we don't have time to even do one verse in, in detail because these two verses are so important. This verse is memorized by most people as you quoted it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you don't put that, your translation won't sell. Hmm. All the translators have tended to find that out. That, oh, they changed the first verse of the Bible. Forget this translation. Everyone has it memorized. You know how Christians know John 3.16? Well, everybody knows in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Well, in Hebrew, there's no period. You see that dash? I know the readers don't have this yet. Now, look down and see where you have the next dash. Mm -hmm. It's all the way down at the end of verse Mm 2. So I'll just begin explaining this. Uh, in this broadcast, because we want to go into it in more detail. Sure. But it's it's a very challenging verse to translate, because it doesn't actually say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say that. The word beginning, which many people know, because it's the name of the book, Bereshit, and don't let me lose you here, and I'll explain it again in our next uh podcast or broadcast, it's in what is called the construct state. So don't let that scare you. The note explains it. And what that means, it's like the word of, okay? And the best example would would be basically, say, Jeremiah 26.1, where it's talking about at the beginning of the reign of a certain king. So you could say, in the beginning, when so-and-so began to reign or something like that. But it's got the idea of of, okay? Literally, it's at the first of. You follow? Mm -hmm. You say, well, Mm -hmm. what difference does that make? Well, if it says at the first of, you need to say to me, of what? Right. See the difference? At the first of, you go, yeah, of what? At the first of Elohim creating the skies and the land, then we get the dash. What's the dash? Let me read it to you like this. I... I'm going to expand it. Let me tell you, children, the story of what happened at the first. At the first of Elohim creating the skies and the land, the land was desolate and emptiness and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. Pause. So what I'm telling you is the state of things at the first. You see? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not even about bringing the heavens and the earth into existence. This is a terrible mistake people have made for 2,000 years. Well, Genesis 1.1 said God made the heavens and the earth. No, it doesn't. It says when. I didn't use the word when because it's ba, bereshit, which can mean at. I wanted to use when because then it would be clear. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, here's how it was. You see the idea? Hmm. Let me tell you what it was like. I like to say, picture the moon. What is the moon? Empty, desolate. Tohu vabohu is the Hebrew. People know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the beginning. When he started, it was like this. It was chaotic. It was dark. There was the face of the deep. And he said, let there be light. Then you get the action. You see the mm-hmm. difference? Right. So it's actually describing the state of things before God began to create. Now, create is a verb, and we'll talk about this, that is only used for God. Um, it's DNA engineering if it involves plants, animals, and 
living creatures and fish and birds and so forth. It's a very high level word. It doesn't mean bring from nothing. Doesn't mean that. It means to, I would say, a very high level of engineering. <laughs> you know, if if you have a chaotic land, the land was desolate and empty and dark, and it was covered with water. That sounds like a primeval planet Earth before sure. it's ordered, before anything that, like, it, just the laws of nature run, you know, the oceans, the water, the, the darkness, the chaos, and so forth. You don't even see the dry land. And then you begin to cause things to happen on that, in that arena. So uh, we can go into this in more detail because we're probably getting up to the time you want to talk. We but, are. Uh, we're... People think about that and maybe get a copy of this if they can. Absolutely, they uh, should get a copy. We'll put a link uh, under this podcast uh, on this podcast where people can uh, click on it. It'll take you straight to uh, either the the Kindle or uh, or the paperback that you can get from Amazon. Uh, order it as soon as you can because you're going to want to follow along with us with your copy in hand. And uh, we are, but we are coming to the end of our available time now. Ross, is there anything you want to close with? Yeah, I, I wanted to add that this is—it's uh, already very popular, uh, just based on Amazon. You know, if you go there, you'll see that it, it's really selling well. The beauty of having Dr. Tabor on the program is, and the reason we wanted to kick off this first program with explaining from the translator himself, you know, how, what is it that's, that's different about this? And what, what were you thinking as you worked through these texts? And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about the program is we have the man with us. And, and so I think that this was a good exercise in the beginning so that you get directly from Dr. Tabor, what were you thinking when you put pen to paper? And, and now that that is, completed, even though we want to jump into the text, certainly Dr. Tabor does. I know Jono, you do, and I do as well. But I think this was necessary. And now I'm very excited to begin our next week's uh, episode with beginning in the beginning, if you will, at the first. And I think I, I think our listeners would be excited to join us on the next program because we are going to get into this translation. So they definitely need to get this, if at all possible. It's going to really be a, a much easier to follow along if they have it. So let me add something, Jonah, too. That um, I want everyone to feel who listens as we we don't even know how long this will take. Maybe it'll take ten years. We'll see. But. Uh, I want everyone to feel that they can participate and send in to you comments and so forth, because no translation is perfect. I might have missed a singular or plural. I might have missed uh, some, some detail or something. I've tried to be very, very careful. I've gone over it a thousand times, uh, but we're willing to improve this. This can come out in further editions in the future. And so we want you, we have people, Jono, and I know you know this, who studied the Bible for 20, 30, 40 years with Strong's, with Young's, many people who know Hebrew. And so this can be a project with all of us to maybe one of the first times where a text like this is discussed in such detail with so many eyes looking at it. And and we're open to, uh, you know, input and uh, 
so forth and we can figure out a way to channel that i'll leave Absolutely. that up to you John, to figure well out we have so. uh, the comments are open on on the uh, podcast on truth we would love your comments dear listeners and also on the various facebook pages we'd love to hear back from you and especially if you've uh, you've you've ordered and you've received uh the book we'd love to to hear what has impressed you and uh, if we can we will read them out on the program so dear listeners we look forward to that thank you so much uh ross nichols dr james tabor uh you can find links to all of uh, james tabor's web pages books and projects at jamestabor.com that's jamestabor.com that is the show for this week we'll be back this time next week and until then have a great one thanks guys thank you very much thank you ross